And I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I knew deep down inside that, you know what, I don't want to become an imam. That's not what I want to do. Yeah. So that those like three months in between from December to March, those were difficult periods of my life. You're listening to the Discover You Life podcast, where we do just that. Through conversations with pretty cool Muslims, people of Du'at, of Ihsan, people who found a way to walk their dreams with Islamic excellence. We take you on a path of discovery. This is the podcast where you discover you. 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 Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Discover You Life podcast. My name is Rasia, and I'm part of the Discover You team. Great to have you with us. And I'm really excited for this podcast. We've got Sheikh Nabil Aziz with us. So welcome, Sheikh. Jazakallah khair. Thank you so much. Alhamdulillah, it's always um, it's always a blessing to have you in just like the conversations and the lessons that we learn from you and experiences. So uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Sheikh Nabid Mashal, he's an instructor with Al-Maghrib Institute. He's also um, a part of the Calgary Muslim community, very active and always much at the forefront of doing things before the curve and really addressing community needs. So um, I think when we think of Discover You Life and the brand and, you know, with self-development and just, inshallah, you know, trying to do things with Ihsan, uh, Sheikh Navid really, you know, leads the way and allows us, allows, you know, you're you're definitely a model for many of us. So, alhamdulillah, we're blessed to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Jazakumullah khairan. So, um, I know you, you said you're getting over, you know, your travel bug and jet lag and all those things. Alhamdulillah. So, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. You're still smiling. Your energy, hopefully, is still high. So we'll. we'll of course, try. yes, definitely. I'm very excited for this. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So I guess, uh, um, actually, uh, randomly, before I was like today, I was like, okay, you know, some interesting questions to ask Sheikh Navid. I was on your Twitter, and I okay. saw that you posted something about um, you running into Kevin Hart. I want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> sure, no problem, no problem, inshallah. Um, so I was in Malaysia for a conference, uh, and this wasn't like a Muslim conference. It was like a, one of those government things. Okay. So I was staying in like the fanciest hotel I've ever stayed in my life. It was the Ritz Carlton. Okay. And, um, I arrived at four o'clock in the morning. So after Fajr, you know, I went to sleep and I woke up around 11 and I went downstairs to have breakfast and they're like, sorry, you just missed breakfast and you're going to have to go to the cafe, uh, and, you know, grab something from there. So I wasn't too disheartened and, you know, I went to the cafe, sat down. So as I entered into the cafe, I found some very, very um, shady people, for lack of a better word. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, let me stay away from them. So I moved to the back of the cafe and there's a table for, uh, I can't remember, either eight or ten people. And I sat there by myself, you know, one person on this table for like eight or ten people. And then from there, you get to see a view of everything that's going on around you. And I saw Kevin Hart and his entourage, you know, walk into the restaurant for breakfast. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. They probably closed the, the restaurant off for Kevin Hart. And that's why I wasn't allowed in. So I, you know, snuck up behind them just to see what was happening. And I was surprised that even the waitress, she's like, sorry, we just closed for breakfast. We can't get you in. And I was like, that's nuts. So I, I hurried back to the cafe, went back to my seat, you know, acted all casual and cool. And him and his entourage, again, there are about like 10 people. They walk into the cafe and there's nowhere for them to sit except for my table. There's no table that's going to accommodate them. So they walk towards my table and there's like this awkward pause for like, you know, half a second. And I was like, look, you guys are a big, you know, group. Why don't you guys take my table? 
and you know I'll take the the, the the table you know a little bit away, which was like for like six people or something like that. So I take that table, and the tables are still pretty close. So they're very appreciative and, you know, his entourage started up a conversation uh, as to what I was doing and who I was and this and that. Um, and then eventually my food came. So my food came, I started eating. And as I was finishing, their food was just about to start to come. And I was like, I can't let this opportunity go where I don't get a picture with Kevin Hart. <laughs> and I thought all the awkwardness would have been done by now. But yeah. I'm like, look, I'm really sorry. I don't want to interrupt your meal when it comes. So, you know, would you be okay taking a picture? So I did not realize how short Kevin Hart was till I stood next to him. <laughs> so I tried taking the selfie while, you know, we're both standing together. And, you know, you have my whole upper body and you can't see Kevin Hart. You probably could have picked him up. <laughs> exactly. So Kevin Hart's like, you know, I got an idea. Why don't I sit down on a chair and you crouch down and I'll take the picture. So that's I was like, sure, no problem. And that's why uh, I ended up deleting the picture because people are like very... Uh, atrocious online mm. um but if you look at the picture it's actually kevin hart taking the selfie with me as opposed to me taking the selfie with kevin hart so true. right yeah yeah and so, so that's, now uh, i'm sure we're gonna see some headline like kevin hart takes shahad that was <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> something like that yeah yeah well, or it could be the beginning of a really good joke sheikh navid and kevin hart come into a cafe and exactly exactly yeah um, yeah that's a really yeah. cool story you know, but you know i i want to take a, an opportunity to, to highlight something about him um mm -hmm. One, he was very down to earth and very casual and very easygoing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is who he is everywhere. Like he swears and curses on his set. He swears and curses when he's in, in person. But, you know, what I also found is that he's also very human because it was, um, it was around that time where he was going through his troubles with the awards and all that stuff. I'm not sure if mm -hmm. you remember that at yeah. all. But, yes. you know, that was on his mind. You could see he was distressed. He was talking to his like PR people on the phone. He talking to his family. His family is like counseling him, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Um, and you could see like a very vulnerable side of him, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a, a very interesting experience for me. Subhanallah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird. I've noticed this trend, like especially with public figures and celebrities, like even um, just I find with like our African brothers and sisters, like no matter how famous they are, when you meet them, like they're so down to earth. And even in like, certain interviews, like there's just this humanity. So um, like a guilty pleasure of mine, I love uh, watching the YouTube channel of Architectural Digest. They just show like really beautiful homes and like different designs. And so whenever you have like, you know, different celebrities, Caucasian, like it's, you can tell a lot about them the way they interact with their like house staff. And then recently they had like an African-American celebrity and like, he's just, you know, like giving high fives to his house workers and just so human. I was like, subhanAllah, like just these yeah. little cues I noticed. And even like on a micro level within our community, like I feel like there's, yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's so much like love there always, subhanAllah. There is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mashallah. Mashallah. That's very true. Yeah. So I want to go into some of the topics I want to pick your brain about, Sheikh Navid. Um, sure. So, you know, Mashallah, you've worked on different capacities in different organizations and communities. And, um, you know, you've been involved in so many different projects. And I guess for our, our listeners and viewers, something I wanted to explore was, um, you know, what's one project that you've worked on um, in your career so far that's really impacted you in whatever way um, that, you know, you want to share? That's a very difficult question to answer to pinpoint just one. And I'm hoping if you're okay with it, I'm going to actually highlight two. Sure. Uh, because there are two different projects in two different capacities. So the first one, I, I think, was um, it was like a tour that we did worldwide. Myself, Buna Muhammad, and Bab Ali called mm -hmm. The Strangers Tour. 
And this brought together spoken word, uh, a lecture and comedy all together. And, you know, at that time, I think North America was changing quite a bit where they saw the more humorous side of sheikhs and they saw the human side of sheikhs. Whereas when we went to other parts of the world, like Europe and to Australia and to like Malaysia and Singapore, they were not accustomed to that at all, right? They could not understand how Islam can be fun. They're like, either you have to be a good practicing Muslim or you choose to have fun. You can't have both at the same time. Yeah. So for me, that was a very eye-opening experience. Um, I remember one incident in particular, we were in Belgium and, you know, you see like, mashallah, uh, it's just packed out with sisters. A lot of them, you know, they weren't wearing hijab. Um, and as the event was over, we always encouraged people to take, you know, next steps in their lives. So those of you that aren't praying, you know, start praying. Those of you that aren't doing something, start doing some, start taking action in your life. That's like one of the themes from the strangers tour. Mm-hmm. And in that event, I remember clearly around, you know, 15 to 20 sisters, their action point after the event was, you know what, we're going to start taking, we're still going to start uh, wearing hijab. And I was like, oh my God, that's phenomenal. That's absolutely amazing. And then Salah time came and we started praying. And after Salah, I spoke to like a whole bunch of brothers and I'm like 40, 50 brothers. And for them, it was the first time they were praying Salah, who knows in how long. Right. So I think that one event in particular, you know, we we underestimate the power of of being human and showing Islam holistically. But that was like a life changing event for a lot of people where, you know, brothers started praying, sisters started wearing hijab. And I think that was something definitely very, very um, inspirational for me. And and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sorry. um, I was because they brought a lot of different audience that you wouldn't typically expect. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it brought families in, it brought youth in, it brought, you know, people that were looking for Islam in, you know, we've had yeah. multiple people take shahada. Um, and it was just uh, an unbelievable experience. So I think that was probably number one. Uh, and that's more on the educational front. And then number two was probably on the charity front where um, I got to go to Gambia two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gambia at that time was like, the fourth or fifth, you know, poorest country in the world. And I didn't really understand what poverty meant. Like I thought, you know, I've seen Medina, I've seen the poor people of Medina. I've been to like Mecca. I've seen like people begging, you know, how much more different could it be? But it was a different level of poverty. And I remember one particular incident where on the last day of my trip, they took me to a dump site where, you know, um, you come and drop off your garbage. So like in Canada, we have the city that comes and picks up our trash. And, you know, they take it to a dump site. Whereas over there, you have to physically take it yourself to drop off your, your own trash. So they take me to this dump site. And I couldn't understand, like, how does this tie into charity at all? And as we're at this dump site, the gentleman that's with me asks me, how much money do you have? And I told him I have 10 delasi. And it was my last day. And 10 mm-hmm. delasi is the equivalent of like four cents. Um, he's like, I want you to start waving it in the air when I tell you to. So he tells me, start waving now. And then he starts shouting something in his native language. Uh, that I didn't really understand. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like literally out of nowhere, you see hordes of kids running in my direction. And I'm like, bro, what did you do? Like, I don't have enough money to, to give all these kids out 10 dollars. What are they going to do with this? Yeah. And he's like, I wanted to show you how easy it was to either exploit these children or to turn them into mercenaries. And my heart just sunk at that time. Like, I, I, I couldn't understand what was going on at that time. Yeah. That, you know, how is it possible that in 2017, you know, when we've technologically advanced so much, there's still kids that can be exploited 
and for a measly four cents on top of that. Yeah. Right. I, I couldn't understand that. Um, and for me, that's been like a, a further motivation for myself that, you know what, the humanitarian work, particularly within the Muslim Ummah, needs to step up. Yeah. And that's something that we all need to be a part of in some capacity. Those of us that are able to help on the ground, those of us that are able to help financially, those of us that can lobby and rally, you know, something needs to be done. But this disproportionate uh, distribution of wealth, yeah. the Ummah needs to do something about it for sure. And I mean, Alhamdulillah, we're a generation that has the highest level of disposable income than ever before in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when the 2008 recession happened here in North America, and what was interesting, they were reporting that, you know, people's expenses, um, like uh, spending habits went down, except for going to movie theaters. So it's like, you know, like, no matter what. Like, there's always money for movies. That's yeah. it. Like, there's always wiggle room. So I feel like um, it's like some honest conversations we sometimes have to have with our ourselves and within our community. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. It's like we don't have a a problem, you know, adding a couple more dollars to our like internet viewing subscriptions. But as soon as, you know, we have to give charity, like even $5 is too much sometimes. That's it. Um, Just recently too, I was looking at, um, it's called, I think the the bell curve of needs and uh-huh. so uh, the fulfillment curve. It was another class I was taking. And so they're talking about, you know, so you, if you Google it, the fulfillment curve, you'll see where it says like survival, comfort. And then at the peak, it says enough. And then, you know, it goes down and says overconsumption. So it's just, you know, where we all need, but, um, and I was taking this class with Sheikh Mikael actually, and he was saying how the believer, our actual enough is just between the survival and the comfort. It's not where that yeah. is, right? And so I feel like yeah. many of us are caught in that looking at enough is when we have certain luxuries and, um, you know, can make certain outings. That's when we're like, okay, this is what a bare minimum should be where subhanAllah, like these are luxuries that we take for granted and are part of our day-to-day that we have to answer for. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. That's very yeah. true, mashallah. SubhanAllah. Um, so that's really, I, I, really, I love that, alhamdulillah. Um, you know, those are like, there are two opposite spectrum experiences that you shared, but something that yeah. keep us all, inshallah, grounded with. And especially with Ramadan approaching, I think many of us, you know, want to give and inshallah give in um, causes that really are making an impact. So uh, what organization was that with that you went? That was with Penny Appeal. Okay, mashallah. They're based out of the UK? They're based out of the UK, yeah. Alhamdulillah, they're doing great work there. Um, and it's also kind of you know relevant with the discussion right now. I'm sure you've heard about the you know the fire of the cathedral in France. Of course, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and so yeah. the billion dollars that was raised in less than twenty four hours. Yeah. Building Sapana. So I think it's you know just reflecting for us as well. I think sometimes we get caught up in like really having these beautiful mosques and we forget about maybe the interior, like other needs of the community, like balancing that out. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> I love how you snuck that in. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's one thing to see uh, a part of history being uh, wiped out like that. Like obviously, that the church has a huge significance uh, in Western civilization and in history. Um, so I think for that part, it needs to be recognized. Yeah. Uh, but what I find really, really painful is that. Um, here you have a building that's, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight hundred years old. Uh, and they were able to raise this billion dollars in 24 hours. Yet how many times, you know, do we see literally hundreds of thousands and millions of people, you know, dying in Africa. And people are begging and pleading, please just donate a dollar to help these people out. Yeah. Yet it's difficult to even raise that dollar. 
And we um, can't ignore the the refugees that are at the doorstep of France yeah, right now. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a, a lot of things that you you can't ignore, right? Yeah. Um, you know, subhanAllah, I remember reading uh, in high school or elementary school, grade six-ish, uh, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Hmm. And it's literally, again, this whole disproportionate wealth where you have one city, but like two different sides of it, where one is extremely rich, one is extremely poor. Yeah. And you see Paris and, you know, that's what it's turning into. You see France, that's what it's turning into. Yeah. Um, and there is this crisis. But again, it's like, you know, what do we value as human beings? It's great to value history, but what if you have no one to continue that history, yeah. right? And I wish people would just think that, you know, fine, restore the building with, without a shadow of a doubt. That's a part of your history. Please yeah. restore it. But at the same time, you know, try to value human life, yeah. right? Why couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. And looking at like what the priorities are when it comes to human need. And it's funny you mentioned Charles Dickens because there's this famous quote I always use of him when we talk about um, certain countries and like, you know, when women can't go to school, but like they don't have basic security. So when the potato famine happened back in Ireland, um, uh-huh. you know, thousands of people had died. And so Charles Dickens being part of the elite in England at that time, he brought together some of his colleagues and he said, you know, what can we do for them? And so these, you know, elite um, Oxford professors probably like they're all gathered there and they're like, well, you know, we could um, send them books. And Charles Dickens <laughs> just pauses and looks at things like they're starving and you want to send yeah, them books. You know? books. And I feel like yeah. sometimes that's how we also approach our charity work. Like, oh, they yeah. need this, right? And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Allah Allah guide us and just allow, Amin. you know, the efforts we do to put barak in it because it's truly the results are up to us. But at least we can Sorry. do our part. Um, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah, inshallah. Um, so in terms of the community work that you've been doing locally much like you know I'm always following like and using your resources that, that you provide through other different projects and classes you offer in Calgary and even like much like, you know you mentioned the tour I guess I want to ask you know what's something that has helped you stay consistent like meeting the needs of the community and also being relevant because much like, I feel like you couple this <laughs> really well <laughs> Um, okay. I, I think the, the relevancy part is, is probably a lot easier to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was just about like, what would I like to see? Like, what do I like and what do I dislike? Mm-hmm. And I try to try to present what I like and I, I try to stay away from what I dislike. Cause I feel that, you know, as human beings, we all have a, a good gauge for the most part of what's going to be an enjoyable experience versus what's not going to be an enjoyable experience. So everything that you do, try to make it an enjoyable experience. Because I think, and this is going to tie into, you know, one of my first Discovery You classes in like 2009. Nice. People won't always remember content, but they'll always yeah. remember the way they felt, yeah. right? And if you can make people feel good and provide them some sort of benefit, they're more likely to return. Um, so I think that's where the relevancy part came, where people always want to be up to date. They want to know what's happening, especially with, you know, social media being at the forefront of everything now. Yeah. Um, you have to be relevant. You have to, you know, use examples that people are familiar with and understand. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where it came from. It just like, what do I like? Let's speak about that. Whatever I don't like, try to stay away from it. Because more than likely, I'm going to be at the same wavelength of the people my age, at least, yeah. uh, when, I, when I have those discussions. So just being culturally literate. Exactly. Yeah, culturally literate. That's a great word. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then for the first part, I think that was more of a difficult thing for me where I had to learn what my limitations were. And what I meant by that was in terms of what I was physically capable of. You know, I think as I was younger, uh, before I was married, before I had kids, I was like, I have these ambitious goals. And I was like, I want to do everything. But then as you get older, you start to have kids. And then you start to actually evaluate the impact of your life. And 
I think once we start to impact the value of our lives and the, uh, the efforts that we make, you realize something, that there's such a, a huge wisdom behind the Prophet ﷺ mentioning that there's only three things that are going to benefit you after you pass away. It's either knowledge that you left behind, uh, a righteous child that makes dua for you, or a sadaqah jariah. And I was like, when you look at this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he's basically teaching us how to invest smartly in our akhirah. So rather than trying to do everything, try to focus on a few things, but do them well so that there are going to be people that remember you and make dua for you, that there are those projects that will continue even after you pass away. And then obviously investing in your own family and making sure that they have a good upbringing and things like that. I love so that making, so much. <laughs> yeah, subhanAllah. Um, I think once you, you look at it from that perspective, yeah. You become a lot more grounded and you realize, okay, you can't travel everywhere. You have to prioritize the projects that you do. And the focus always has to be local as opposed to international. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's this desire of wanting to do everything internationally and, you know, travel and hotels and, you know, this uh, whole um, celebrity slash influencer culture. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the level of impact you can have locally is always going to be much, much greater. Yeah. Because people need face-to-face -face interaction. They need face-to-face -face tarbiyah. Um, and they need people to interact with. And I think and, that's what made... Yeah, sorry. I, no, I, I keep rambling on. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, there's, so, yeah. there's so much like so much value and gems in what you're saying. And I think like that right there, like the hard work is on the micro level. The hard work is on showing exactly. up every day for your community and you know, really yeah. being there to mentor and build mashallah. So that's amazing that you dedicated yourself. This episode of Discover You Life podcast is brought to you by Visionaire Ramadan, an online program to help you start living a life crafted by dua. To join us this Ramadan, go to visionaryramadan.com. So like with consistency, you find just having, like being able to like cut down and just have that focus now on those three elements that you've kind of crafted, you know, that Hadith Mashallah, just like taking it like uh, to the core that so you've cut down on like other aspects of your yeah, previous work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Um, and I, I, when I asked about the relevancy as well, because like, I remember you mentioning in the past in like a, you know, convos we've had off of this is just about like almost like a focus group slash like small mentor group that you have. And so I feel like yes. that's rare to find that, you know, imams will have something so consistent. And I think that gives you the opportunity to really gauge like where your community is at and the challenges they have. SubhanAllah, you know, that's, uh, if I can expand on that, that actually started from a very selfish position, by the way. So that started <laughs> off. <laughs> so the way that started off was I was traveling a lot and I was like, man, I don't have enough khatibs to cover for Juma. Mm. <laughs> I need to plan some khatibs. And then I think during that time, that's when I had the paradigm shift that, you know what, this is where the value is that if I can cultivate these people to become future leaders, and yeah. become imams and just become, you know, again, culturally literate and, you know, uh, uh, religiously literate at the same time. And yeah. they can present Islam wherever they end up. You know, it doesn't have to be in Calgary. That's what the Sadaqah Jariya is going to be. Um, so it went from something selfish to, yeah. inshallah, something uh, fruitful for the Ummah. An investment that's going to keep paying off, inshallah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah. We didn't advertise this publicly as much, but we actually try that with sisters now as well. Okay. So for the past uh, two years or so, it started off just in the summer times. And then the, this past year, it almost became like a full-time thing. We did three semesters per year um, where we're doing like public speaking classes with sisters. We did tafsir with them. We did aqidah with, not aqidah, we did fiqh with them. Mm -hmm. And then we also did uh, a unique class based on one of Yaqeen's papers 
on uh, common misconceptions that uh, people have about women in Islam. Mm. Um, and, you know, just making them, again, giving, empowering them through public speaking skills mm. and religious literacy. You know, inshallah, that's something that's moving forward now as well. That that's I would love so to see. Yeah, I would love to see that replicated, um, you know, in other parts of, yeah. of Canada. Uh, because again, you know, if you keep following the discussions, particularly in Toronto, that you know, there's this women's only mosque that is opening up this Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. Um, again, you know, I, I think a lot of the times our, our heads are either in the clouds or in the sands, yeah. where we're completely disconnected with the with the vibes in the community, and you know, we feel as if we're providing them a service, but a lot of people are still disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we need to find a way to to bring people back. Yeah, just start having those conversations and, you know, inviting exactly. spaces for everyone, inshallah. Yeah, yeah. Well, mashallah, I really love that. I hope you're documenting your process and the classes <laughs> you're teaching because, you know, like that's the kind of training and programs we want to, inshallah, replicate, yeah. but we first need it, you know, documented so we can start the process. <laughs> that is a great suggestion. I, I, I should hold you to it, Shane. I should, I should. I will be honest, I did not do that. I think a yeah. lot of the times it's just trying to figure things out on the fly for sure but you know that's uh that's very valuable advice that you everything should be documented that way sure. you know we will have a folder and a module and like shaking the comes to the exactly. training and it's all good yeah to yeah inshallah. exactly yeah. Nice. Alhamdulillah. um so i want to i want to come back to your first du experience i want to hear this because this is way before i would i probably even knew about du so what was the class that you took and what was the experience you had <laughs> <laughs> okay um so this is probably March 2009. <clears throat> and what's, what's happening was um, I just graduated from Medina in December 2000. Well, I graduated earlier, but I got back from Medina in December 2008. And I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I knew deep down inside that, you know what, I don't want to become an imam. That's not what I want to do. Yeah. So that, those like three months in between from December to March, those were difficult periods of my life. Like, um, I mean, like literally at times I would wake up in the middle of the night and just be crying. And I'm like, why am I crying? I don't understand. Yeah. And I think a lot of it was because I didn't understand what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't understand where my life was heading. I, I had no focus uh, and I had no direction. And um, Discovery U was relatively new at that time. And they were offering um, life coaching certification. So it was like a huge investment at that time. I can't remember. Something like three, four, five thousand dollars and I was like, you know what? Let me just try this out. You know, I know Sheikh Mohammed is a Medina graduate. He's doing something with his life. Inshallah, hopefully I can, I can benefit from this. Um, full disclosure, I never graduated from the class. <laughs> because they made, they made you call 50 different clients and offer a free coaching session. And I just didn't have it in me to do that, just to call random people. I'm like, hey, do you want me to coach you and stuff? Yeah. Uh, I never graduated from the class. But two things happened in that class that uh, I, I will never forget. Number one was the, um, you know, try understanding people's emotions, understanding what purpose in life means. And he has like his own version of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs at that time for yeah. me, which was very profound. And I think that restored balance in my own life and gave me some sort of guidance in terms of what I needed to do. Uh, and along with that, I realized that, you know what, it's pretty normal for people in their late 20s, early 30s, not to know what's going on in their lives and not knowing what direction they're going like, in. I'm human. <laughs> exactly. Like prior to that, I was like, I'm the only one that's going through this crisis right now. But you attend a class like that is like 90% of humanity, you know, constantly does not know what they're doing. So I, I think that, that that made me feel good. 
And I'm sure the all the thing, 20 year olds listening really appreciate exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. If you don't know what you're doing, don't it's worry. Okay. Keep seeing Allah's guidance. Find a mentor. And inshallah, you'll find your way. Inshallah. And then the second thing was, he had just launched a new class at that time called The Millionaire That Went to Jannah. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I had no idea what financial literacy meant at that time. Like, what does this even mean? What does budgeting mean? What are all these words that you're using mean? Investing? I mean, is it all that haram and stuff? Yeah. So, like, that was like the mind frame that I had. And then that was such a valuable class for me because on a personal level, it taught me how to budget. It taught me how to, you know, bring in income. It taught me how to do different things. But most importantly, it, it taught me the, the spiritual aspect of Islamic finance. Mm. On how there's a direct correlation of the sins that you commit and the risk that comes in from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On how, you know, what you eat and drink impacts your risk. On how things like having children and going for Hajj and Umrah and getting married, they all impact your risk. So, mm. you know, there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps reminding us of those things in the, in the Quran and the Sunnah. So that was very, uh, very helpful for me. So those are, are the classes that I did back to back in March uh, 2009. SubhanAllah, I feel like that's a really great... So like those two classes were probably really great to springboard you into like going down the path, mashallah, I know that, you know, came to be and like just the amazing things that you went on to do. Um, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. For sure, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, um, mm-hmm. after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mean, I'm very indebted to Sheikh Muhammad for his guidance and mentorship. Alhamdulillah. And, you know, it's, I, I love that you, and I really appreciate that you were vulnerable to share how you were feeling that time, because I think many of us were, and I'm sure even, and I you know, can't speak on behalf of Sheikh Mohammed, but um, he, you know, he has shared that early journey of starting his companies and just the struggle that goes. And I think, um, you know, common theme that we hear in Discovery, like people who are taking certain paths and trying to live, inshallah, a life that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and live their best is um, quieting that waswas of shaitan that constantly tells you you're not good enough yes, don't try like what can you offer and I think it's anyone we've seen that's gone on to do something incredible it's them learning to tame that voice right right subhanallah very yeah. true very very true so to all those folks that have graduated and are job searching I know there's so many uh, people in that boat like me let's kind of make it easy for you but don't you know don't feel defeated like everything has a time and you're being prepped for inshallah something amazing and just enjoy Allah like, Allah the process <clears throat> Allah Akbar. very true very very true um so i guess for that and this ties in beautifully uh shaykh navid um keeping you know these 20 and 30 year olds in mind who are starting their life journeys what do you think uh the the line living a life designed by dua means Allah Akbar. <laughs> <clears throat> You know, uh, I, I think that's a journey. It's not, it's not a, a destination, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of times when you look at the Western world of, you know, goal setting and imagining the life that you want to live, it uh, it's just purely revolves around this dunya, right? It's like get a bigger house, get a faster car, get a better job, earn more money, and everything revolves around this dunya. Yeah. Whereas leading a life led by dua, it starts off with something very, very profound. And the way I'll tie this in is if you were to look at the, the concept of dua, it is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions time and time again in the Quran and the Sunnah. That indeed the noblest thing with Allah is dua. And then the Quran, he mentions that, you know, Allah gets angry at those that uh, don't make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it, it's something that's there. Yes. But I think what people often miss out is the connection between this concept of dua and the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I did not create mankind in jinn except for my worship. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he does a profound job of, 
of bringing this together. And the way he ties it in is the worst case scenario in dua, which is what if Allah doesn't answer my dua in this dunya, right? That's the worst case scenario that Allah doesn't answer my dua in this dunya. That is the worst case scenario with dua. So he talks about some of the narrations of the Prophet wasallam, where he says where people will show up on the day of judgment and they'll have these huge amounts of reward. Um, and they'll ask, oh Allah, that, you know, where did all this reward come from? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell them that uh, this is the reward of your du'as going unanswered in the dunya. And those people, due to their amazement, due to their shock, due to their awe, they're like, oh Allah, we wish none of our du'as were answered in the dunya. Just to see the great amount of reward that was there. And then Ibn al-Qayyim, he says that, look, not all these narrations are authentic. You know, this is a dispute. This is from the Ilm al-Ghayb. Allah knows what the reality is going to be like. Mm-hmm. But he says, even in the hypothetical case, that the scenario that these du'as aren't true, something that a person that lived their whole entire life making du'a with and never had it answered can say, that no one else can say, is at least they fulfilled the purpose of creation. How many people can claim you fulfilled your purpose of creation? And the reality is the vast majority of people can't. Whereas if you're constantly making dua, this is one of the greatest acts of worship and you fulfilled your purpose. And as long as you fulfilled your purpose, the covenant and the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is true that you will end up in paradise. So when I look at this concept of a a life led by dua, it starts off with you fulfilling your purpose of creation and worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which has to be the foundation of everything that you do. And once you have this solid and strong foundation where everything revolves around, you know, your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trying to get to the highest levels of Jannah, then the dunya is just the beginning, right? The dunya is just the beginning. And I think a lot of people forget about that. So once you lead a life led by dua, you've established this foundation, it's up to you to design the life that you want. You can choose how you want to get to Al-Firdaus. You can ask for the things that you want and you look at the amazing things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does in answering those du'as. And it's amazing. You know, subhanAllah, you can think of anything. And for me personally, I I think one thing that's radically changed my life was I used to make du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, allow me to come to your house uh, every year. And I had some pretty strict conditions in the du'a that I'm not going to share publicly. But, you know, with, even with those conditions, I was like, you know, if Allah wants to make it happen, He's going to make it happen. Yeah. And since I started making that du'a, I would say, you know, I don't think a year has gone by except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought me to His house with those conditions. Um and it's just been a phenomenal experience. Yeah. A phenomenal, phenomenal experience. You just have to have that yakin and sincerity and just like, you know. Exactly. Like, oh. And I, I think it's not even that. It's like we forget that Allah is bigger than what we ask yeah. for. So sometimes we may feel silly making dua for certain things. Yeah. But it's like if you have faith, Allah will give it to you because Allah is capable of all things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what uh, a life led by dua means to me. I feel like I could do so many episodes with you just talking about this topic because there's so many layers of, unfortunately, secularism and atheism that we've um, internalized being part of, I think, sometimes the North American education system that we don't realize plays into our understanding and relationship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So our go-to and knee-jerk when we need something isn't, I'm going to raise my hands and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but rather panic about it and think of everything I can do. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah, Um, very true. 
there's this really crazy, I don't know if you've, have you read the um, book, The Big Four? I have not, no. So it's a, it's called The Big Four, the DNA of Amazon, Facebook, um, Google, and Apple. Uh-huh. And so the chapter on Google, the writer starts off with saying how if you actually study the rise of atheism and the rise of the internet, there, there's a lot of parallels there. And <laughs> subhanallah. So, yeah, subhanAllah. And he says how, you know, in the olden days when people, when something would go wrong, they would raise their hands to the heavens firstly and, you know, ask um, God for help. And unfortunately, in the Google age, when something goes wrong, we'll first Google, what are the symptoms? Why is my yeah. child doing this, right? And I saw that really hit me as a believer because I, I wanted, you know, the self-reflection, like, am I doing this? Like, do I, you know, the first thing, do I need to Google to reassure me before I even ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So like that, yeah. I, that was really crazy, something so basic, but it's like, even that affects our understanding. And obviously, you know, you, you get medicine, you do your homework, but in perspective, like, you know, it doesn't take a precedence over firstly turning towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that, um, for whatever need, even if it's a sandal strap, right? According to the Allahu Hadith. Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Very true. Very true. Subhanallah. Yeah. Really interesting books, subhanAllah. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. And, and yeah. I think that's the beauty of our faith that, you know, we can read these books and we always have something to tie it back to. Right? Yeah. There's always a way to tie it back to our faith somehow. Yeah. You're always looking at it through the Islamic lens. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nat- natural life filter. Insta- Instagram can't provide that. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I guess to close off, Shaykh Navid, uh, something that, you know, I, I'm trying to ask uh, our guests that we have on is what is one ayah from the Quran right now that um, really speaks to you? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I know that's hard to pick. It's, it's like only one. It's like she was your most beloved child. <laughs> no, but <laughs> You know, but right now, like maybe today, like you read Fedra and there's like something you read and just that one verse kind of hits you a little harder today. Um, so just yesterday, uh, I, we started a new series on how to uh, attain the most from Ramadan. And, um, you know, um, it's, it's based off this book in Arabic called uh, The Secrets of Those That Love in Ramadan. It's, an, mm-hmm. it's, it's a book in Arabic. Okay. And it's a, it's, a, it's a profound book. And... I think if you look at um, the verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran, that Ramadan is the month in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Quran. That's the very first introduction that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us to the month of Ramadan. That, you know, Ramadan prior to that is not mentioned. Uh, and this is the first introduction that Ramadan is the month in which the Quran was revealed. But what is the significance of it? Like, what is the relationship between the month of Ramadan and the revelation of the Quran. So the book that we're teaching from, um, it expands on this. There's a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ found in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, authenticated by Sheikh Al-Bani, rahimahullah, where he says that on the first of Ramadan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the scrolls of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And on the sixth of Ramadan, he sent down the, the Torah to Musa. On the 13th uh, of Ramadan, he sent down the Injil to Isa. On the 18th of Ramadan, he sent down uh, the Zabur to Dawud salam, And on the 24th of Ramadan, he sent down the Quran to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa The hadith doesn't actually mention the, the names of the prophets. It just mentions the books that were revealed and the dates that they were revealed on. And for me, that was something very, very profound. Because, you know, we think that the Ramadan, you know, the Quran was revealed and that's what makes it special. But in reality, we see that Ramadan was even special before the Quran because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had chosen it as the month of revelation. 
And now why that becomes significant is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that there's a connection between the heavens and the earth in the month of Ramadan. And if you look at the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, known as the, the hadith of glad tidings of Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ tells the, the ummah that indeed the month of Ramadan has come upon you, that it is a, a blessed month. In it, the gates of paradise are open. In it, the gates of Jahannam are closed. In it, the, the shayateen are locked up. And whoever is deprived of this good has indeed been deprived of the greatest uh, blessings. And you start to realize that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has opened up this gate to the spiritual realm that usually you have to strive at the hardest levels to open up. You have to be at the highest level of your iman to experience this outside of Ramadan. But in the month of Ramadan, even the average layman Muslim gets to experience it. With their ibadah gets to go up. They start coming to the masajid, start reciting Quran, start praying, start giving sadaqah, start making dua, start doing X, Y, and Z. And for me, that was something very, very profound. Because the discussion concludes with um, a statement that Al-Hafid ibn Hajar rahimahullah, narrates from some of the, the Zuhad. The Zuhad meaning the early ascetics uh, of Islam. Where they categorized fasting into, into four levels. They said that the, the fasting of the, of the lay people is just a, a abstain from food, drink, and, and a desire. And then you have the fasting of the, the you know, the, if you want to call it the good Muslim, they abstain from level one. But on top of that, they also abstain from the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram. And then they have level number three, which is even higher than that, where they will abstain from the first two levels. But then they only focus on worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remembering him. So their whole entire Ramadan, will look at, you know what, how do I make everything that I'm doing into an act of ibadah or at the very least engage in some form of dhikr. Everything that you do in the whole entire month of Ramadan. And then he quotes level number four. And in level number four, he says, these are the people that fast from everything in life in Ramadan and outside of Ramadan, except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they will only have iftar on the day of judgment when they get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning that their whole entire lives are just focused on doing what Allah loves and pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you know, navigating their life through this lens. And he says, This is a very high station that very, very few people will be able to reach. Now, the relevance between this and the first part of what I said is that in the month of Ramadan, everyone naturally goes up a notch. That if outside of Ramadan, you're at level one, you're automatically going up to level two. That Allah just inspires you to naturally attain that level. If you're level two, you're going to level three. If you're level three, you know, you're, you're being notched up to, to level four. That's just the barakah of the month itself. And I think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us this in the month of Ramadan to show us what we're actually fully capable of. We're not as dependent on food as we think we are. We're not as dependent on sleep as we think we are. We're not as dependent on the life of this world as we think we are. Right, yeah. that if we just saw the world through the spiritual lens of the akhirah, yeah. you know, your, your paradigm and your perspective changes. But in order to yeah. do that, you have to be tied to revelation. Yeah. And each, you know, cunation in the past had the revelation, and ours is the Quran. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this introduction Shahru Ramadan al unzila al Quran. Ramadan is the month in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Quran. That that is what is going to tie the two realms of the physical and the spiritual of the dunya and the akhirah.
that I, I love that and uh, just I think it's just so easy to like you just went so deep I think many of us like make Quran a goal in Ramadan but to really understand like the depth of connecting with the Quran and the love For of sure. everyone inshallah achieve it it's so just like oh, yeah, okay. uh, um, are you going to be uh, live streaming the series at all Uh, so yeah, we started uh, live streaming on my Facebook page yesterday and inshallah we will be continuing. So it's only a, a three-part series. Okay. So it's going to be on uh, Wednesday nights at uh, 8 p.m. Calgary time. And for those of you that can't attend live, then obviously the video stays up uh, on the Facebook page so for you guys to watch after inshallah. Nice. So you can follow Sheikh Navid on his Facebook page with, for that and add it to your Ramadan preparations inshallah. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Navid. May Allah's Allah accept from you and strengthen Ameen. you. And from you as well. Continue to make you a means of benefit for all of us. Um, I, mean, I, mean. I, I really enjoyed uh, our discussion, alhamdulillah, and always Likewise. in your brain. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jazakum Akhan, for having me. Jazakum Akhan, Khair, Assalamu Alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.